It's our privilege to present this message from the teaching ministry of Reverend George DeYoung as part of the Fruit from Under the Fig Tree. George DeYoung is the founder of Under the Fig Tree Ministries, an organization dedicated to helping people understand the power of God's Word in its Jewish context to equip them to impact their culture. George helps us understand the message of Christ by experiencing the world of the Bible. We pray you're challenged and encouraged by the Word of God as George brings us this teaching from the text. Now, let's see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and set our hearts on what God desires as we join George recorded live on location. In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above all the hills and the nations. The nations will stream to it saying, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord. Let us go to the house of Jacob. There he will teach us his ways that we may walk in his paths. And the Lord will judge among the nations and settle disputes between the peoples. And they will beat their swords to plowshares and their, their spears into pruning hooks. And no longer will nation take up sword against nation. Nor will they ever train for war anymore. Oh, come, house of Jacob, walk in the light of the Lord. The very words of God. You may be seated. The words are from Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. And last week we talked about back to the future. So what we did is we backed through that passage. And we began with the last verse, verse 5, where Isaiah the prophet says, Come, O house of Jacob, and the NIV, I think, translates, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And really, verse 5 is the capstone. It, the whole first few verses just build up to verse 5. But we backed up and, and noticed, though, that verse 5 is imperatives. So the word come is not an invitation. It's a command. Come. Walk is also and not an invitation. It's a command. Walk in the light of the Lord. So it's really important, according to God, that we walk in the light of the Lord. And we talked about how Jesus is the light of the world. And so for us, we hear Isaiah's words, we own them. But even more than that, we understand that the light of the Lord for us is Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to I see Jesus a little bit more in this whole Isaiah passage, in this whole business of walking in the light of the Lord. Because of verse 5, that verse 4 and verse 3 and verse 2 will happen seems to me that when God says that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief among all the mountains, it will be raised above the hills, is not that we are all going to invest in caterpillar and get bulldozers and make that hill physically higher. No, it's going to be chief and it's going to be high, higher than any other hill, not physically, but in people's hearts and people's minds and people's lives because it's where God lives and God is going to be chief in people's hearts and lives and that's going to be accomplished not uh, magically, it's going to be accomplished miraculously. And the difference, you know, between magic and miracle is in magic, you just sit there and wait for the magician to make it happen and you just passively watch. Miraculously, when God does a miracle, you always have an investment. You've got some skin in the game. You're involved. And our involvement for God's house to be, God's hill to be, and His house to be chief, to be highest of all, is for you and I, our skin in the game is to walk in the light of the Lord. Now that walking, now this is kind of a review too, and forgive me for this, but, and it's not a review so much from last week, it's just kind of a review for ministry here. 
Because for those of you who've walked in the lands of the Bible with me, you may remember, because it's always at John the Baptist's site in Jordan, where I talk about John saw Jesus walking and said, Behold the Lamb of God. In fact, we're going to bump into that verse in a little bit. And in Greek, the word for walk is peripatao. Say peripatao. Peripatao, fun word to say, peripatao. Now in Greek, the word for live, are you ready for it, is peripatao. Say peripatao. Peripatao means one's walk. Peripatao means one's life. Your life is your walk. Your walk is your life. Come, O house of Israel, walk in the light of the Lord. Come, O Israel, live in the light of the Lord. And the reason why Isaiah 2, verses 1 through 5, was so powerful, if you're visiting with us, or just I'll get to it in just a minute, but I need to begin here, because this is some of the stuff that we kind of left behind. This whole walking in the light of the Lord, this whole following God, this whole living with God, for me, it's kind of a struggle. Maybe not for you. I mean, trying to do God's will in my life, sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's obvious and it's not easy, and sometimes it's not so obvious. So I want to talk with you about walking with God. I want to talk with you about following God. And this is the one, this is the trigger that got me. I want to talk with you about walk before God. This was, not anymore, this was my least favorite verse in the Bible, Genesis 17, verse 1, where God says, walk before me and be blameless. And don't get it wrong. <laughs> That's what it means. Walk before me and don't you get it wrong. Quite frankly, I like walking with God. I like following God but I don't like walking before God not getting it wrong. And that's where that Isaiah passage was so helpful for me, and I think for some of us last week. So let's first of all talk about walking with God. There are a couple of individuals who are described as they walked with God. We talked about one of them last week. Enoch walked with God, it says in the text, and then he was no more. Why? Well, because God took him away. Now, what's interesting about that word for took, God took him away, the idea of Enoch walked with God and was no more, and the Lord took him away. The rabbis say that Enoch walked with God because he walked with God like a little child learning to walk. Micah here, can you hold my finger? Hold this, hold this, hold this. Can you hold this? Okay, can we walk? Walk, walk. <laughs> there we go. You got it, right? The idea is this is how Enoch walked with God. He learned how to walk. He learned how to walk. And all of a sudden, he was no more because God took him. Isn't that neat? And now he's safe in the arms of God. You know, when you walk with Jesus, there's a time when you are no more, and he takes you, and you're in his arms. Now everybody else thinks you died but you're safe in his arms because you know Jesus and he knows you. The word for take means to take with or by the hand. So the rabbis look at Enoch walking with God, kind of like that little one walking with me and just kind of holding God's hand and learning to walk. And any of you who are parents to whom God has gifted a baby, you've seen that baby roll and then you've seen that baby kind of crawl. You've seen that baby get up on his feet and poof, down. Get up on his feet, poof, down. And you go over and you put out your finger and they grab your finger and they're not going to let go. And that's walking with God. And the rabbis say walking with God this way is of a small one, a baby, 
because of the word took. In fact, it's interesting, that word took also happens in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden. So God took Adam, say, come here, come here, come on, right here. See, God's a father. See, I was always thinking that walking with God was like Chris and I walking together. Remember last week, we were just walking, it? no, 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 no. The picture is, is of, a, of that. Enoch walked with God. Noah was a righteous man, and he walked with God. What's so cool about that verse is the word righteous, it's sadiq in Hebrew, and sadiq means straight. Noah was a straight man. He walked with God. Noah was a righteous man because he walked with God. It's almost like Noah got it right because he had his hand on God's finger, <laughs> and he got it right. He lived with God by holding on to God's hand. You know, I would argue that Jesus walked with God. I would argue that Jesus walked with God because I think that's why God gave Jesus, not just to anybody, God gave Jesus to Mary and Joseph, and Mary and Joseph were both tzaddik. They were righteous. They were like God's fingers, like God's hand, extended to the life that was Jesus, and Jesus grabbed onto that, and the text tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and with man. So Jesus knows what it's like to walk with God. And you know what this walking is like. Remember your first day at school? Your first day at a new school? Your first day at a new school in a new community and you didn't know anybody. And you're just wide-eyed and you just know you're vulnerable, you need help, and you're just praying that someone would extend you a hand and metaphorically you would grab. Or your first day at work. I know what this is like. I'll tell you something. I know what this is like. I remember my very first trip. Leading my very first trip. And I'm telling you, we prayed for that thing. I studied for that thing. And I'm telling you, I held on to God's hand for that thing. And I've always tried to hold on to God's hand. But now I've kind of learned to walk. And so it doesn't look the same as it did the first trip. But by golly, I'll tell you, I'm still holding on to his hand. I'm still... You know what this is like. You go to the hospital and you don't know what's wrong with you. You fainted, you passed out, you just don't know what's wrong with you. And they're, they're doing tests and you're just putting your hand out and saying, Lord, help me walk. I don't know. And in that walking, you grow and you learn how to walk. And in that experience, you learn how to live. And your life is oriented. And Jesus knows what that's like. Because Jesus was a baby, he emptied himself took upon himself a form of a servant, and he came as a baby to two righteous people who were the very hand of God in his life, and he learned to walk in such a way that he grew in wisdom and in stature in favor with both God and man. So that's walking with God, but what about following God? This whole idea of following God. Now, if I had to give you an example out of the Bible, excellent example of following God, it would have to be, without question, the 40 years that the children of Israel followed God in the wilderness. Just unbelievable. It's without exception. It's just one of the most premier examples. Moses in Deuteronomy. Now, Deuteronomy, you know, is Moses' last will and testament. It's basically his, these are the last words Moses speaks to Israel before he dies. And early on in Deuteronomy, Moses says these words. He says, the Lord who went ahead of you on your journey, or pardon me, 
literally the Lord who walked ahead of you on your journey. That's what it literally says. God walked in front of them on their journey in fire by night and in cloud by day to search out the places for you to camp and to show you the way that you should go. Literally, to show you the places where you should walk. The rabbis say, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night were the great legs of God and Israel like a flock followed their great shepherd God as he walked day and night in front of them. He walked ahead of them to show them where they had to walk to follow God. Jesus followed God. If I had to pick a verse that gives an example of Jesus following God, it would be that verse I referenced just a few moments ago. It would be that verse when when John the Baptist is on the eastern side of the Jordan River, deep in the thickets in the junipers there. It's unbelievable what people had to dig through to be baptized by John. I'm telling you, it's not for sissies. People passionately wanted to be baptized by John. They wanted to hear his word. Jesus came there. This is what the text says. When John saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, the word that says when John saw Jesus coming literally is peripatao. Remember? Peripatao. When John saw Jesus walking, when John saw Jesus living, when somebody walks in such a way that somebody else says, behold the Lamb of God. I'm telling you, it's not because Jesus had some kind of glide in its stride. It's because Jesus' life mirrored a life of someone who followed God. And you know what that's like? Who are the lives? Who are the individuals? When you think about people who God uses to impact you, I have a couple of pastors of my childhood, Reverend Newman and Reverend Klontz, two men who I, I, if I ever could be a minister, I said to God, I'd like to kind of like to be like them. We had friends when I was younger, and if I wanted to be a husband, I, kinda, I wanted to be the kind of husband, and I wanted to be the kind of dad like my dad was. You have that, don't you? You have people in your life that you, I want to be, be that kind of a doctor. I want to be that kind of a nurse. I want to be that kind of an engineer. I want to be that kind of a Christian. And they're people that you follow because you follow them because you know they're following God. And Jesus followed God because his life gave evidence to that. It's fruit. What makes me so excited about ministry here is not how nice everything is now, although that's nice. It's the fruit. And that fruit comes from following God. Jesus followed God. And this is the one that kind of threw me for long. Walking before God and then the and be blameless part. Now, for a long time, that's, and that's where I struggled. If you were here last week, forgive me for repeating this part, but I, it's still, I'm still on the glow of that message last week in terms of the impact on my life. Because I, I, I thought, walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me. Don't get it wrong. Well, I thought, thanks, God. I, I don't need that. I like walking behind you. I like following you. I like walking with you. But this walking in front of you, could you pick somebody else? Two out of three ain't bad. And then last week, that passage in Isaiah chapter 2, where it says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord will be established above all other mountains. 
It will be raised above all other hills and the nations will stream to it. That phrase, and this is where my friend Brad Gray helped me, that phrase in the last days in Hebrew is v'haya b'chot b'hayomim. Translated in the NIV as in the last days. Now the RSV translates it, and so does the King James Version, it shall come to pass. But literally, I love it, literally it means in the behind days. The days that are in the future that are behind you. So the point of what Isaiah is saying is you don't walk into your future facing your future When you walk before God and be blameless, the way you can be blameless is you walk into your future not facing your future. You walk into your future facing your God and you walk backwards. And when you're walking backwards, who do you see? You see God. You look into his eyes and you see that you are the apple of his eye. You are worth Jesus to God. He doesn't want you to fail. He doesn't want to hurt you. He doesn't want to but he wants you to be part of his forever purpose plan. And so he's going to bring us to places that are going to cause us to doubt because based upon our knowledge base, this doesn't add up. But God says, but don't you remember our walk together is based upon faith. It involves knowledge, but it's based upon faith. At the bottom line, if the rubber hits the road, it's going to be based upon our relationship together, the trust that we've, and that trust is built as I back into my future and God says, okay, a little to the right. Okay, George, keep going. Okay, now a little to the left. Okay. And the reason why backing into my future, looking at God so that my future days are behind me, not only do I see the face of God, but I also remember my past. And I not only remember my past when I gave my life to Christ and God's faithfulness in living my life, but I have available to me the past of the forever family of God. And God says in his word, he says, remember the Sabbath day. You gotta take a break. Remember the Amalekites. Remember the Lord your God. There's a bunch of things he tells me to remember. So I don't live life in the past, but I do live my life orienting to the past as I walk into the future, keeping my eyes on God. Genesis 17, verse 1. This is so cool. I mean, it's, it's like I, just, I did just discover it, but it's been there when God wrote it the first time. I am God Almighty, remember this verse? Walk before me and be blameless. I went back to the Hebrew this week. I am God Almighty, it literally means, are you ready? I am God Almighty, walk facing me and be blameless. It's just another affirmation of how you and I are to walk into our futures, facing God. Because God can see what's ahead. I can't. I'm planning for retirement. I don't know if I'm going to live long enough to retirement. God does. God says, well, you keep being faithful. Keep your eyes on me, Stuart. But keep your eyes on me. I'll take care of that. I don't know. I mean, God forbid, but somebody could pull out of the driveway here and and I don't even want to think about it, but it could happen. You know what I'm talking about? We don't know what the future holds, but we know the one who holds the future and we walk into our future facing him. What if you walk into your future facing the future and every once in a while looking back to see God and they get mad at him because this is not the future that you expected? You say, well, you know, God, this is not, this is not fair. I, I walked with you, I followed you, and now you tell me to walk ahead of you. I'm going, and it's like, okay, God, I just met this, I met this person. They're not a believer. 
I want to get married to him, and it's, uh, I, we, we love each other so much, you know. <laughs> oh, that's, that's so great. What do you think, God? Want to bless with him? No? Oh, that's okay. We'll move on. And we'll get married, and we'll just go on, and, oh, oh God, you know, I got this deal. It's a great deal, okay? A little bit under the table, but what do you think? Can I have your blessing? No? That's ah, okay. I'll get it next time. It's not a big deal. And we walk into the future facing the future, and every once in a while looking back and seeing God. Or do we walk in the future backwards, facing God? remembering, orienting our lives to the promises of the past so that we live into the future. Jesus walked before God. Isaiah, where Isaiah says, turn to me and be saved, which literally means face me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am the Lord your God, there is no other. God's saying, face me. Don't face other gods, face me. In fact, talking about other gods, I came upon this passage in, in uh, Jeremiah. Jeremiah says this, They say to wood, you are my father, and to stone you gave me birth. They have turned their backs to me and not their faces. I'm telling you, this is huge. In terms of God's will for your life, in terms of walking with God, to understand what does it mean to walk with God, in terms of what does it mean to follow God, and, other, and also to walk before God and be blameless. Because when you walk before God backwards, facing God, looking at your experiences, looking at the word, looking at how God has worked in the world, and even though it may be dark and it may be dangerous at this moment, you know that God sees the end of all things. And back in his word, he gives us little glimpses that there will be a day when there'll be no more crying. There will be a day when there'll be no more sorrow. There will be a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that we are on the winning side. God sees the end. He's accomplished the end. We're just living towards it. And the way you live towards it is to learn to walk with God, to follow God, and to walk before him and be blameless. And Jesus walked before God. I love this passage. Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12. God wants you to know that before Jesus picked 12 of his disciples, he had more, but he picked 12. But Jesus spent the night in prayer. Another way of talking about prayer is to seek God's face, isn't it? I want to seek God's face. Jesus sought God's face. In other words, what this passage tells me is that Jesus is walking backwards into his future, looking at the face of God, and what happens, and what, I mean, I love the picture of holding God's hand. I like that, where he's teaching me how to walk. I like the picture of following and learning and his mojo and building my faith in him and my trust in him. I like that. But walking before him and being blameless, could you say that that is the fulfillment of a covenantal relationship? Where I'm in a covenantal relationship with God. It's God's job to guide me and show me and equip me. And it's my job to walk faithfully according to his word as I watch his face. So walking before God and be blameless, it's interesting, it is with Abram that God made the covenant. It's one of the most profound covenant fulfillment passages in the text. And to walk before God and be blameless is like covenant fulfillment. So there you go. That's what I was thinking about this week. And let me give you an observation before I let you go. Whether you walk with God or you follow God or you walk before God and be blameless, 
Every one of those scenarios implies the presence of God. Every one of those scenarios implies the presence of God, that God is present. He's present there for you to hold on to. He's present there for you to follow. He's present there for you to walk before. God's present. It's interesting that there's one man who was alone. And God says, you know, that's not good that he's alone. The man's name was Adam. And God says, it's not good that Adam's alone. So what God did is made Eve, which is kind of cool. That kind of, we're not, that whole community and that whole kind of, that kind of thing. And what I did, and I did as best as I could. So I put a caveat on this. But I began to search alone in Scripture. Other than for that moment on in the garden with Adam, I went through the whole Hebrew text, and never again was man ever alone. The only one who was alone in the Hebrew text was God. My people have forsaken me. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and dug for them cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot contain water. My people have forsaken me, says God. We've talked about this before, that in the pagan world, they had many, 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 many gods. And as far as the gods related to the people of their time, the people were just, it just they just were willy-nilly, helter-skelter. It was the fates, and, and people were really unsure of their gods. But Israel came with one God. They had God alone. And what I'm discovering is that if he's, the gods with the Greeks and the Romans, those gods played with each other, had fellowship with each other, and this mingled in men because they didn't need men. But we have God, God alone. Who does God fellowship with? God that we have who is God alone is God alone. And without you, he's alone. Now, he'll never leave you and forsake you, but you can leave him and forsake him. I misspoke. There was another man who was alone, was on a hill called Calvary, outside of a city called Jerusalem. The man's name, of course, is Jesus. And as he backed into the future, he came to a point when he looked, and for the first time, almost as if it were the only time, because even though Adam was alone, he wasn't alone, because God watched over him and cared for him, but this second Adam was utterly alone. And he cries out the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what makes Jesus so magnificent is even when God wasn't watching, even when God wasn't encouraging, supporting, informing, and blessing, even though Jesus was utterly, utterly alone, he remained faithful and died on that cross. If you want to really know who you are, it is revealed when no one is watching. When it appeared that God was faithless to Jesus, Jesus was faithful to God. And it is in that faithfulness, it is in that faithfulness that I stand. I trust you do too. It's in that faithfulness. Because of Jesus, God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. I am forever his, and he is forever mine. Because of Jesus, God will never withdraw from me. Because it's in Jesus that I approach him. 
And in the approaching to him, or sometimes when I hold his finger, I'm learning new things because I'm going to places I've never gone to before. I'm like that little baby as I go through different parts of my life. I've never done this before. Lord, help me. And there are other places where, okay, I'm getting my, I'm getting my bearings. I'm learning how to walk. Now I have to learn how to follow. And there are other times once I've learned how to follow, there are times that God says, now, George, you walk before me because I want to be in partnership. Now walk before me and be blameless. And I said, okay, God, is it okay if I walk backwards? God says, yeah. There we go. Pray with me, please. Bless to you, Lord God, King of the universe, sovereign over all. We bless you and thank you for this morning and for this time that we could be together. We bless you for your word. We bless you that you are a God who speaks. And when you speak, you speak with authority. And and the word became flesh and lived among us with authority. And in Jesus, Lord, we do not have a high priest who cannot identify with us, but who identifies with us fully and shows us that it's okay that there are times when we have to hold your hand. There are okays that when times we have to learn how to follow and that it's a high honor to walk before you and be blameless as long as we walk with the future days behind us, with your face before us, remembering and orienting our lives to our collective past with the saints who've gone before and the God who is sovereign over all. We bless you and we thank you, Father, that we are yours and you are ours because of your Son, our Savior, because of Jesus. It's in his name that we would endeavor not only to pray our prayer, but it would be in his name that we would endeavor to live our lives to your honor and to your glory and all God's people said. Beloved, I got to tell you, when God looked at heaven or when God looked at eternity and you weren't part of it, he couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand it. What's going to take? Is it going to take angels, galaxies, universes, and none of it would do it? None of it would do it. The one and only thing that it would take to restore fellowship and relationship between his image bearers and himself would be the death of his only begotten son. In the economy of God, you are worth it. Each one of you, all of us, are worth it. So now walk. Walk with your God. Follow your God and walk before your God, my friends. And as you do, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give to you his shalom, both now and forevermore. Amen. It's our desire that this teaching by George DeYoung has encouraged you to walk more closely in the dust of our Rabbi Yeshua. Please visit us on the web at www.underthefigtree.org or write to us at Under the Fig Tree, P.O. Box 1256, Holland, Michigan, 49423. Please remember George and this ministry in your prayers. Under the Fig Tree is a nonprofit organization that's solely dependent on your tax-deductible contributions. We very much appreciate your support. Now go and tell Israel. And until next time, may the shalom of the Lord guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.